taking control of our contraception has never been more important, and today's guest is an expert and an entrepreneur who has made access to contraception easier and more affordable. She's also extremely candid, which is why I always enjoy our conversations. And if you think you're too old to need contraception, stay tuned. You'll want to learn more. Plus, we'll have information you can share with the younger women in your life so that they can have agency over their own reproductive health. Hi, welcome to Beyond the Paper Gown, part of the Offscript Health Media Network, where we bring you conversations with scientists, clinicians, policymakers, and innovators in order to help you achieve optimal health. I'm Dr. Mitzi Crockover. Today we have Dr. Sophia Yen, who's an adolescent medicine specialist, a clinical associate professor at Stanford, and the CEO and founder of Pandia Health, which is an online birth control delivery company. Welcome, Sophia. Thank you so much for having me here. And I'm absolutely proud to represent Pandia Health, the only women-founded, women-led, doctor-led birth control delivery company. Thank you. And you know, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to be the founder of Pandia Health. Yeah, so um, I'm a clinical associate professor at Stanford in adolescent medicine, and we call that sex, drugs, rock and roll, a little <laughs> acne, and some sports medicine. And being an academic, we hyperfocus, and so my hyperfocus is sex, as in preventing unplanned pregnancy, as well as sexually transmitted infections. I started Pandia Health because seven years ago, I was giving a talk to a bunch of physicians. Why don't women take their birth control? And one of the top reasons was didn't have it in our hands, didn't have time to run to the pharmacy every single month from age you know, 18 to 50 during the prescribed period that the insurance allows, which is only seven days ahead. If you go eight or nine days ahead, nope, you got to come back the next day. And so I was like, well, let's just automate it, set it and forget it. Let Pandia worry so you don't have to. And thus Pandia Health was born, the end-to-end solution for expert medical care and medication delivered to your door. If you have a prescription, we can do just a delivery. If you need a prescription, we can write the prescription and then we can deliver it to you. So, you know, contraception is a very personal issue. And so how do you or or other doctors, um, for example, decide which contraception is right for an individual? So when women come to us, unfortunately, we only can deliver what we can deliver. So if you ask me what's the best birth control out there, we will always tell you the best birth control is the IUD or the implant or vasectomy if you're willing and ready for that. But we can only deliver the birth control pill patch ring. So if you want any of those three, come to us. Then you give us your history, the same 20 questions your physician would ask you, or I would ask you if you came into my office, what's your medical history? What have you tried? Um, Do you smoke? Do you have breast cancer? Do you have liver cancer? What medications are you on? And then based on our experience and side effects and benefits that you want, then we will help you choose the birth control that we think birth control pill that will result in the least amount of side effects. And I've written 2000 birth control prescriptions over two years. And as a woman, as a mother of two young daughters and wanting to make the best product possible for our customers and our patients, 
um, I've studied this birth control results in this side effect and looked at the research as well. So based on your race, ethnicity, your personal experience, we tailor the birth control pill that we think people have fewer side effects and therefore more likely to stay with us and stay on the birth control pill. So I'm going to do a lightning round because you brought up the um, suggestion about that there's different types for different women, right? So tell us about what contraception might be options for young women, for example. So I think, you know, again, the ideal contraception for a young woman is set it and forget it. And so that is the long acting reversible contraceptives, such as the IUD, the implant, IUD with hormone, the copper okay, IUD. And remind people what an IUD is. Yes. An IUD is an interuterine device. So you have your uterus and it's like, the size of your fist. And the device is literally thinner than my two fingers. It's two toothpicks. They open it up and it opens up like a little umbrella. And the one with hormones secretes hormone, very low dose, only in your uterus, shouldn't really go anywhere systemically. And the benefit of that is 30 to 70% of women that go on there lose their periods. And they're like, yeah, no more bleeding. And then the other side, it becomes a lot lighter. So it's actually a treatment for heavy periods is you just put this in and you don't have to worry about it for five to seven years. However, if you're not ready to have something in your uterus, if you're not ready to have something in your arm, the implant is great, lasts for three years, then you have your option of the shot, which I generally don't recommend because it gives you the munchies and it's not good for your bone density, but anything is better than pregnant. Then you have the vaginal ring, patch or pill. But being young, and that's what you're triggering now for me, is if you're under 30, you want to be on at least 30 micrograms of estrogen. If you're put on something lower than 30 micrograms of estrogen in there, it's been shown not to be good for your bone density because from age 15 to 30 is when you're putting on your bone density, you're getting that bone nice and strong. And then from 30 on, it's just all downhill. And so <laughs> you don't want to have very small, fragile bones or being less than 30 micrograms of estrogen tells your body that you're pseudo anorexic and anorexics are famous for having horrible, brittle bones. So it's basically a feedback loop. So it's, you've got enough estrogen, but it's really not enough for your bone density. And I thought that was fascinating when you first told me that. You know, I think some women may avoid the IUD because of fear of pain. Any suggestions as to how to make the procedure easier? My right. tips for getting the IUD first time is go on your period because then the cervix, which you have to go through, is already open. But don't go on the first day of your period where everything's trying to get out. But go on the last <laughs> couple of days of your period. So if you're normally a five-day person, go on day three to four, you know, and they can put it out. And there might be a high risk of it getting shot back out, but they don't have to go through. And if you don't go on your period, it's fine. But, you know, if you can, schedule it there. Two, um, pre-medicate with some ibuprofen. It's been shown actually, if you take 800 milligrams of ibuprofen with food, not on an empty stomach, um, that it's the same as one milligram of morphine. So the pain blocking is as good as that if you do that. So make sure you don't have any kidney problems, but if you are okay taking ibuprofen, take that mega dose with food half an hour, hour before the procedure. And then lastly, ask for a cervical block. So that means they numb up the cervix. In the past, they were like, we don't know if it does anything, blah, blah, blah. But the research is out and it shows that it does help. And I was like, no, duh. <laughs> like if you're going <laughs> to stick something, poke my clamp on my cervix, I wouldn't mind some numbing before you did that, you know, better safe than in pain. So um, right. those are my three tips. 
Thank you. Um, so going back down our list, women who've had at least one child, any differences? I just say that more likely to use an IUD because the cervix has already been stretched to 10 centimeters. So it doesn't make a difference putting it in and again, set it and forget it. The only reason I would go on the pill, the patch, the ring is I'm a control freak. And so with the IUD, the implant, it varies on who you are, whether or not you're going to bleed or you're not going to bleed. But with the birth control pill, this is an important point. There's 40 different pills there's eight different progesterones. The progesterones usually come in two different levels, but two different levels of estrogen. So there's just so many options that if this one doesn't get you to no periods, I'm pretty sure I can find one that gets you to no periods. And I want to go back just very quickly to the IUD and the um, implant. Obviously, lots of benefits, but let's also talk about the risks that people have to consider. Yes. So I want to dispel the myths about the IUD. One, they make you sterile. There is no evidence that that, well, I mean, it makes you sterile while you're using it because it's birth control and that's why you're using it. But once it's out, you can get pregnant within the next month. So um, it's not long-term. That's why it's called long acting reversible contraceptive. So it doesn't affect your fertility. The main risk of the IUD is in the person putting it in. If your uterus is flipped forward, back, or in some way that they're not used to, and that practitioner doesn't know how to figure that out or straighten things out when they put it in, then they could pierce the uterus. But it's not like they're popping the uterus. It's just like taking a needle and sticking it through your arm, a thin, really small needle. So it wouldn't do much permanent damage. The main risk there would be one, it would hurt. And then two, it wouldn't work. And so the risk is unplanned pregnancy. Um, they used to think that it would increase your risk of pelvic inflammatory disease, mm -hmm. which is you mm -hmm. have your uterus, your vagina. This part is usually sterile, but with this foreign body and some strings, they thought that the bacteria could run up the strings. But again, the benefit of the hormonal one actually didn't mention one of it, the, the way it works is it thins the lining of your uterus. So if the egg and sperm were to hook up, it couldn't stick and it couldn't grow and it couldn't become a baby for you. The other one is cervical mucus plug. So the high dose progesterone locally causes a cement plug at the bottom of the cervix. So you can't get through with these hormonal IUDs. The only increased risk of infection is within the 30 days after they put it in. And that's because I like to say it's like the game operation. You got the dirty vagina and it's not dirty, but it's got like bacteria and um, flora, you know, uh, yeast living in harmony. And the physician cannot touch the walls of that as it's trying to put in the IUD. And so we do, you know, um, sterilize the cervix with, you know, some iodine or something and then put it through. But if, you know, we like bump the edge or something, then we might introduce bacteria into the sterile environment. So there is a slight increased risk of infection for the first 30 days. But after 30 days, there is no increased risk of pelvic inflammatory disease. So that I would say would be like the risk is perforation, getting pregnant, um, infection. But um, the negatives, as I mentioned, some people have irregular bleeding, some people lose their periods. It is better, more effective than getting your tubes tied, which is crazy talk to me. <laughs> IUD, and it's reversible, right? And it's reversible, more which effective is... than tubes tied, other than men tubes tied. Women with migraines who have had a blood clot. 
Yes. So um, migraines in and of itself is not a contraindication to um, the pill, the patch ring. However, migraines with visual symptoms or neurological symptoms, you cannot use anything with estrogen. And um, we would push you over to the progesterone only method. So the progesterone only methods are the copper IUD. Uh, well, that doesn't have progesterone, but no hormone method. And then there is the IUD with hormone, the implant, the shot, and there's a progesterone only pill. And if you've ever had any blood clot, then most likely people will really push you towards the copper IUD and or the progesterone only methods. And women over 40, or women who've had changes in their periods that's uh, suggesting the transition? Yes. So I actually think that women on the birth control pill, you can stay on the birth control pill until about 50, are going to transition better because we have you on hormones. <laughs> and rather than letting your car run out of gas, either or put, 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 we control it. And then every three to six months, you come off and you're like, am I there yet? Am I done yet? And if you're having horrific bleeding, I'm of, you know, the 50 year old age and rather than having unpredictable, crazy bleeding, let's just turn off your periods. And then every three to six months, just check. Am I there yet? Am I there yet? So the main concern is if you're above 35 and a smoker, then again, only the progesterone only methods, but a lot of women are coming back to birth control, be it the IUD, the implant or the pill patch ring in this perimenopausal state, not for birth control per se, because their significant other might be tied or you know, tied tubes tied or whatever, but simply for don't want my life messed up with random blood. Um, you do need to watch out for endometrial cancer, but I think it's you know far less likelihood in under 50 year old. We're going to take a break. And when we get back, we're going to hear why Dr. Yin is very excited about hashtag no periods, as well as her thoughts on how policy should address the medications to treat menopause. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Paper Gown. I'd like to invite you to go to our website, where you can talk about this episode on our forums, read informational articles, and even take a health challenge to incorporate wellness into your day. We're at beyondthepapergown.com. Welcome back to Beyond the Paper Gown. Our guest is Dr. Sophia Yen, CEO of Pandia Health. I know that you are chomping at the bit to talk to us about no period, so go at it. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm basically going to summarize my TEDx talk, but I want anybody with a uterus to know that if you're missing school, work, the number one cause of missed school and work under the age of 25 is horrible, heavy, painful periods. So if anybody's missing work or school, please see a medical provider and talk about, we have lots of different, you know, medicines that we can help you with on that. And then people go, hmm, shouldn't I be bleeding every single month? And we as physicians have hammered it into your head that you should bleed every single month. But there are two exceptions. One exception is if you're within the first two years of your first period. And it's totally fine within the first two years of your period for it to be totally whack. But if it's become normal and then it went away for three months in a row, then then you need to see a doctor because we need to check thyroid, tumor, stress, um, malnutrition, female athlete triads, stuff like that. But if it right, just started- the female athlete triad for everybody. Female athlete triad is um, no period, 
insufficient calories for the amount of physical activity you're doing, and then bone density, exactly as we spoke before, right? Mm -hmm. That you have a bone density problem because you have malnutrition. And so you can't put the calcium onto your bones that you need to put onto your bones. So as a female athlete, if you lose your period, that's not normal. And they've actually shown that for sports, you want to have enough nutrition to have a period. You don't necessarily need to bleed every month, but you need to have enough nutrition. If you wanted to, you could so that you can, you know, burst out in that last sprint or do that last lap on the swimming, you know? So, um, back to the, so that one reason is just being within two years of your first period. The second reason is if you're on medication, such as the birth control pill patch ring, the IUD, the implant or shot, then you can make hashtag periods optional. And, um, the natural part of it is if you go to the Dogon tribe right now in Mali, Africa, they die at around 70 years old. So we're comparing apples to apples, not apples to oranges, people who die at like 30 or something like that. They have 100 periods in their lives. We have 350 to 400 periods in our lives, three and a half to four times what these people over here are having. They because? have Because they start their periods at 15, 16. We start our periods at 12 because as soon as you hit about 100 pounds or 22% body fat, your body goes, oh, I have enough nutrition. I can make a baby. And they have eight periods a year and we have 13 periods a year. Again, nutrition. And then more importantly, they have eight babies. We have two. Not saying we should have eight babies, but when you have eight babies, how many periods you have when you're pregnant or exclusively breastfeeding? zero. And then they breastfeed for 12 to 15 months. We breastfeed for zero, three or six months. So over here, incessantly pregnant or breastfeeding, not saying that's a great state to be in, but natural and a hundred periods over here, incessantly bleeding because we've held off on our fertility and we don't have eight babies, which is totally fine. But as a result, every single month, our hormones go up and down, up and down. The lining of our uterus goes up and down, up and down. And every time it goes up, it sucks up time and energy, but also it could mutate and cause endometrial cancer, cancer of the lining of the uterus. Every time the egg pops out, 350 to 400 versus 100. Well, that's uh, sobering information. Yeah, so you're useful. saying then that how that you should try not to have a period. So how do you make that happen? So the way the pill patch ring works, three weeks of hormone, and then you drop with either sugar pill, which is just a placeholder, or you come off the pill, the patch, uh, the, the patch and the ring for a week, and then you restart. But this week is totally arbitrary. You can just keep going and pull out the hormones and drop it to bleed every three months, every six months, or never. I've gone 11 years without a period as long as I remember to take my medicine every single day. Um, but sometimes I mess up because I went traveling and I forgot the medications or stress or who knows what. And then I'm like, fine. And then I'll just come off for five days, clean out the uterus, and then reset the clock and go again. But it's not like building up, 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 up. Whereas without hormone pill patching, IUD implant shot, then every single month up and down, up and down. And every single month, random blood, one week out of four, don't know how long, don't know where, don't know what time. It's like, how did we women get through all this? It's so, so in addition to just, you know, the convenience, you actually have some really compelling data about performance that this really affects women. 
Yes. And so the research has shown, um, actually, this was a study done in children looking at those who were iron deficient, but not yet anemic. Then they gave them back iron and the kids did better on IQ and math tests. And they've shown that menstruating young girls have lower math test scores, not because they're a girl, but I think because they don't have the iron, which is connected to oxygen, to running around, you know, mathematical permutations in your head. And so I propose to anybody with a child that has a uterus, is your child going to do better bleeding or not bleeding on their SAT, on their finals, on that sprint, on that pitch, on that performance, on that, you know, exam, whatever. A whole bunch of kids just took SATs on Saturday. And I'm betting all those who weren't bleeding we're doing better than those who were. And the example I give, just practical example, MIT pre-med biochem vinyl. And all of a sudden, bleh, and I'm like, oh, do I run to the bathroom or do I finish the exam? And the answer for pre-meds, finish the exam. exam. <laughs> <laughs> but was I a little distracted? Yes. And I looked to my left, I looked to my right, two dudes. Do, 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 do. Boop, yeah. boop, boop, boop. Not a care in the world. Whereas me, my daughters, anybody with a uterus, we are randomly hit with blood one week out of four. And it's not necessary. You don't need to build up that lining and then, oh, no embryo, bleed, unless you're trying to catch an embryo. If you're trying to catch an embryo, yes, build that <laughs> lining, catch that embryo, make that baby. But if you're not, then why are we doing up and down and up and down? And it's actually really good for several um, medical conditions to have a stable hormone rather than up and down and up and down. You know, I was just going to ask you that because endometriosis, uh, the treatment for that, or the, usually the first line treatment is oral contraceptives. Yes. And so those people, I think a lot of physicians for that and PCOS have caught on to stabilize- PCOS is polycystic ovarian syndrome. Yes, polycystic ovarian syndrome. PCOS affects one in 10 women. So for endometriosis and PCOS, often they're treated with birth control, pill, patch, ring, but the physicians don't know that keeping the hormones straight rather than straight and then drop for a week, that this weak drop is not good for them. That for endometriosis, you just want to keep it straight. This weak drop triggers stuff. And then this weak drop for PCOS puts them at risk for escape ovulation on days six and seven, they've shown. Because the old pills were like 110 micrograms of estrogen. And now we're down to 30. So a fourth of that dose. And so it doesn't cover days six or seven. And for polycystic ovarian syndrome, you don't want them to create a cyst or ovulation. And so if you really want to block ovulation, block the cyst from happening, skip that week off. When can a woman stop contraception? You can stop contraception at the age of 50. To be safe, you could probably talk to your physician about stopping it at age 45, but I just would hate to have an oopsie. And we've seen a lot of oopsies. So, you know, if you're having infrequent sex, then condoms plus spermicide or just condoms alone would be fine. Condoms with emergency contraception in case the condom pops. Um, but I use it for menstrual regulation. As I said, not a single period in the past 11 years, except for when I mess up. <laughs> and just a reminder to folks, if you want to say something about the fact that none of these are really um, protective against sexually transmitted diseases, so that if you are having unprotected sex, you are at risk. 
So as a feminist, I encourage you to use a condom because who wants to leak semen for the next 24 hours? And if the other side had to leak my fluids for 24 hours, I'm sure he would make sure that I use something to prevent that from happening. And so the condoms not only protect against sexually transmitted infections, but I don't want to leak semen. So you have the double benefit of preventing sexually transmitted infections and leaking semen and messing up your vaginal flora. The vaginal flora does not like that dose of an alkaline smell. And actually, if you have any funky smell after um, semen, that's actually a whiff test, which can sometimes indicate bacterial vaginosis or trichomonas. You know, recent legislation has reduced access to abortion. So at the heart of this, the need to prevent unplanned pregnancies is key. But only 29 states mandate sex education. And even when they do, the curriculum is not always required to include instruction on consent. So what would be your advice to teens as well as parents as they navigate through this? For those of us with uteruses, get your birth control under control. And the horrific fact and reality is like one in four, one in five women that go to college are sexually assaulted. So if you have a young person that's going to college, an IUD, an implant, or any other form of birth control might be a really good idea. The very least, get some emergency contraception. So know that there are four forms of emergency contraception. The most effective is the IUD. If not that, then there's a prescription emergency contraception called Ella. Don't work for them. Don't make profit, but just don't want anybody getting pregnant that doesn't want to get pregnant. And so you can ask any doctor to prescribe it in advance of need. And then when you fill it, you tell them, I want the one with the farthest expiration date. And generally that's two years from here. And then thanks to the Affordable Care Act should be no copay, no deductible, aka free. If you don't have insurance, it's roughly 40 bucks, which is cheaper than being pregnant, cheaper than getting an abortion. And you can use it up to five days after a contraceptive accident, but you want to take it as soon as possible. And then the third most effective is plan B and its generics. So if it were me, my daughter, my friend, my patient, I would get the Ella. And then if I had nothing else and I was desperate, I couldn't get to anything or anyone, then I would go with plan B and its generics. And the thing to know about plan B and its generics is if your body mass index is 26 or greater, plan B and its generics are as good as water meaning it won't work. So everybody with a uterus right now, make sure you know your BMI. And if it's 26 or greater, plan B and its generics will not work. And you need to use Ella up to a BMI of 35. And if your BMI is 35 or greater, your only hope is the IUD. How do you determine your BMI? So you just Google BMI calculator. And I believe there's a CDC website. You punch in your height and your weight. So you do need to know your current height and weight, and then it'll give you a number. Moving on, we also know that one of the main barriers to access to care is if the care is paid for. And you've talked a lot about the ACA paying for um, some of these uh, items. But you also talk about V1 and V2. So talk about how legislation impacts women's access to treatment. Yes. So this is my advocacy for everybody that's on here that has a uterus and that loves or cares about anybody who has a uterus. So um The V1, I would call the Affordable Care Act covering birth control. And my proposal that we should have a law that says any FDA approved medication or treatment for menopause should be covered with no copay, no deductible. And if you don't pass it, I call you sexist and ageist. (laughs) It affects 50% of our population and it affects everybody 50 and older of 
that population. So it's time that we covered menopause because it's ridiculous when you hit it and you find out how expensive it is. So the example I give is a pack of birth control pills, if it's generic and 80, 90% of birth control pills are, um, is 15 bucks. A pack of the same exact medication, one-tenth the dose, 150 bucks for menopause because this is America and we charge whatever the heck we can get away with. And it's just like horrifying because I was like, can I just take my birth control pill and cut it into 10 little pieces and have a little piece? Or how about I just lick it five times and put it back, you know? And it shouldn't be that way. We should have more options and it should be affordable and the ingredients are the same. So, you know, it's just, it's, we need this. Are you talking about hormone, what we consider hormone replacement therapy then? Exactly. So hormone replacement therapy with either an estrogen pill, those are relatively inexpensive and progesterone pill, but the combo, the two together, I was like, why do we have to do them separately? Why don't we do it just like the birth control pill, a pill every single day, rather than, you know, this pill and then this pill, like why? It's so complicated. Sure. And to clarify, the reason that we have the progesterone is because it protects against the endometrial cancer that if you had the estrogen all by itself would um, put a woman at increased risk for. Yes. You should not have just estrogen if you have a uterus. You need the progesterone to protect. P, progesterone to protect. Well, before we end, and this has been a really great conversation, so thank you. Um, If you were going to give everyone that's listening one homework assignment um, to do for themselves, what would it be? Get your birth control under control. I'm going to give you three and tell everybody, you know, with a uterus hashtag periods optional, you will blow their mind. You will decrease cancer. You will decrease landfill and make women's lives better. And then please um, demand V2 (laughs) menopause coverage of any FDA approved method, because it's ridiculous that we, because we're older and we're women have to fork out for this. Dr. Sophia Yen, thank you so much for joining me. This was a great conversation. Thank you for having me. I told you she was candid. Dr. Yen shared a lot of great information, and we have much of it summarized in our blog on contraception on our website, beyondthepapergown.com. And as with any health information our guests provide, I encourage you to speak with your healthcare provider about what you heard today in order to determine what's best for you in light of your personal health history. And we'd love to hear what you think at our forums as well. As always, thanks for listening. 